0: Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Today, I will be speaking with Aaron C. Spicer, MD, MAS, about the article, A Simple and Robust Bedside Model for Mortality Risk in Pediatric Patients with ARDS, published in the October 2016 issue of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine. Dr. Spicer completed a pediatric residency and critical care fellowship and now is a resident in the Department of Anesthesia, Critical Care, and Pain Medicine at the Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. Before we begin, do you have any disclosures to share, Dr. Spicer? No, I don't. Well, thank you for uh, joining us today. How big a problem is ARDS in children, and what led you to do this study?
1: Well, ARDS is pretty rare, but it's quite serious in children. Despite its low incidence mortality estimates in children with ARDS are typically between 17 and 27 percent or so. And up to 30 percent of children who die in pediatric intensive care have ARDS. Uh, and that's mortality alone. We're only now starting to learn about morbidity associated with pediatric critical illness. So we were led to do the study in part because the data regarding the care of children with ARDS is pretty limited. So a lot of our care in in pediatric intensive care, as as you know, is really based on theory and preclinical or adult evidence. And there have been many sort of isolated studies looking at children with, with ARDS, but they hadn't compared different risk factors for their independent utility in estimating the severity of pediatric ARDS.
0: What was your primary goal in doing this study?
1: Our goal really was to find a simple way, uh, a reliable way, where that, that we could identify the children who are at highest risk of hospital mortality from ARDS.
0: So how did you go about trying to figure that out?
1: Well, Dr. Sapru and, and uh, collaborators and co-authors had, had started this study before I, I began my fellowship. And the goal of this cohort was really to create a very comprehensive database, as well as a biological repository of children with ARDS. And... So the way that the cohort was developed was by screening children who were receiving some form of positive pressure uh, respiratory support. So they had to be on high-flow nasal cannula of five liters a minute or more or be receiving non-invasive or invasive mechanical ventilation. So if they met that screening criterion, then they were evaluated to see if they met the American-European Consensus Conference criteria for ARDS. So the absence of left atrial hypertension infiltrates on chest x-ray they had to have a PF ratio of less than 300. We did exclude children who were less than a month old or less than 36 weeks corrected gestational age or children who were older than 18 years or had already been enrolled in the cohort. So that's the way that they were selected and approached for enrollment. And then once we had that cohort, then we collected data on these patients every day through their discharge from the PICU and we collected ventilator settings once a day, we collected their best and worst lab values and vital science, collected fluid balance, and some important therapies like antibiotics, like vasopressors, like renal replacement therapy. So the way that we did that study was essentially that I did a, a literature review to identify the factors that had been associated bad outcomes, both in children and adults with ARDS, and then use that to select and perform calculations to identify some of those factors that could be evaluated in this very comprehensive cohort.
0: How did you develop your mortality risk model?
1: So we used two different statistical methods. I I mentioned how we first identified the risk factors that we evaluated. So once we had calculated those risk factors. We were then able to evaluate them for univariate associations with hospital mortality in our cohort. And we looked at both the first day and the third day after ARDS onset for a variety of reasons. We then were able to perform two statistical methods. So the first was what's called backwards, stepwise backwards elimination, where the factors that had been identified as being useful with univariate associations, were then put into a more comprehensive model and then we would remove one of those risk at a time and see if the utility of the model changed. The other method is a technique that's called tenfold cross validation. And in that way you do is you develop a model, a logistic model, using 90% of the data, reserving 10% as a validation cohort, and then you repeat that many times. In our case we did it 20 times uh, for each model. And then you can incorporate different risk factors and and create different models to see how the utility changes. And that method is very useful statistically because it protects from some of the power loss of doing multiple comparisons. And it also helps prevent overfitting the data due to a relatively small sample size.
0: How many children were included in your study?
1: There were a total of 308 children included, and they were enrolled between 1998 and 2014.
0: Tell us about the prediction tool that you developed
1: of the statistical techniques that I mentioned really resulted in the same model being identified. It's important to note that, that we did adjust these models for some of the important potential covariates like age, sex, race, and ethnicity to make sure that these models were useful in all of our patients in the PICU. But the independent risk factors that
0: Kids who were on non invasive ventilation, if you were using OI as one of your risk factors, you can't really measure OI with non-invasive ventilation. What did you do with those kids?
1: Excellent question. We essentially excluded those those patients, any patients with missing data from any calculation that required the presence of those data. But to make sure that we weren't just selecting for the sickest children, we also just directly compared the mortality between children in whom we were able to calculate OI and those we weren't. And it turned out that at least statistically there was no mortality difference in the children for whom we had those data available and those we didn't.
0: So the prediction tool is basically looking at OI and presence of cancer or stem cell transplant, correct? Exactly right. That is pretty straightforward and simple to use, I would think. (laughs) What's the most appropriate use for this tool? How should we use it or should we use it?
1: Well, I I want to caution people from thinking that there's a particular cutoff because we, we did enclose figures in the manuscript that show the predicted mortality with changes in oxygenation index with different lines created for the children who had and did not have a history of cancer or hematopoietic stem cell transplant for both ARDS days one and three. But what we don't show is we don't show error bars anywhere. And so I can't say that you can say, oh, there's this particular cutoff at which the risk of mortality becomes unacceptable and we have to really try something new or novel or risky. But I think that in discussion with families that we can say, you know, I'm pretty worried about your child and the reason I'm worried is because this tool that we have indicates that the risk of your child dying is, is quite high. Or alternatively, we might be able to say, look, the chest x-ray looks bad, but in the absence of these clinical risk factors, we, we hope that your child is going to do well, but we're going to continue to treat them aggressively. So I think it's still going to be used in the overall context of a a child's care, but there are times where we need to make arbitrary decisions using cut-offs. And, you know, one example might be when might we enroll a child in a clinical trial of something that may have real potential downsides. And it might be that we want to go after the children who are at highest risk of bad outcomes. And, you know, potentially looking at these models that we've made on the different illness days might give people a framework for trying to make those decisions.
0: But we can't really apply it to the kids who are on non-invasive ventilation at this point because we we can't get the OI on them.
1: Exactly. Now, we ended up selecting OI because on day three, it outperforms the PF ratio. And I think that's a novel finding. And I think it, that it may be useful in the care of children with ARDS. But PF ratio does remain a useful predictor, and we found that also in in this study. And so although OI is frequently something that we can obtain in the children who are sick with ARDS, I think that the PF ratio can also be used in in a similar fashion, although we did not provide those models because they were a little less useful, uh, specifically on, on illness day three.
0: So conceptually, you could use PF to and presence or absence of cancer in stem cell transplant in a sort of general sense when talking to the parent of a child on non-invasive ventilation. Uh, might be harder, although not impossible to use if you're looking at clinical trial selection.
1: Right. And there have been several papers looking at the saturation index also, which is a, a sort of a you can use to back calculate the oxygenation index based on the saturation level for children in whom arterial blood gas data are not available. I think that concept may also be useful.
0: What are the limitations of your study?
1: Well, this is an observational trial. And so, as you pointed out, there are children in whom we did not have all data available, oxygenation index being a prime example and obviously being one of the most important two predictors that we identified. So, you know, we started with 308 children and then we developed these models. It ended up being approximately 200 children per day. So I think that that's something that, that certainly needs to be considered. Another is that, you know, we enroll children at multiple sites, but these are all academic centers. And so our subjects may be different, the therapies may be different, their risk factors may be different than children who may be cared for in other centers.
0: So what do you think the implications of this study are for our clinical practice more broadly, recognizing that not everything may be generalizable for the reasons you just talked about, but what does that mean to the pediatric critical care community?
1: Well, I think that this may change a little bit the way that we discuss our patients. So frequently when we're talking about patients with ARDS, at least historically, we've identified the severity of their illness using a PF ratio acute lung injury consensus conference really came out emphasizing the oxygenation index as an important marker of severity. And I think that our paper really supports that emphasis. And so maybe now when we're signing out a change of shift or something like that, and we're saying who we're worried about maybe now we'll discuss them using the oxygenation index rather than a PF ratio or a saturation level or other markers of, of their illness.
0: Do you have any additional comments you'd like to make?
1: I'd just really like to thank you for this opportunity and, and, of course, thank my mentors, colleagues, the patients, and their families for supporting us in this research. And I'd certainly like to specifically mention my division chief, Dr. Feynman at UCSF, who supported my training and research with the T32 training
0: grant. Well, thank you very much for talking with us today, Aaron. Oh, we have been talking today with Dr. Aaron Spicer from the Massachusetts General Hospital about the article, A Simple and Robust Bedside Model for Mortality Risk in Pediatric Patients with ARDS, published in the October 2016 issue of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine. Thank you for joining us today. This concludes another edition of the iCritical Care podcast. Please check out our website at www.sccm.org/icriticalcare for more information. For the iCritical Care podcast, I'm Dr.
2: Margaret Parker. Join or renew your membership with SCCM, the only multi-professional society dedicated exclusively to the advancement of critical care. Speak with a customer service representative or visit www.sccm.org/membership for more information. Margaret Parker, MD, MCCM, serves as an Associate Editor for the iCritical Care Podcasts. Dr. Parker is Professor of Pediatrics at Stony Brook University in New York and is the Director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Stony Brook Children's Hospital. A former President of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, Dr. Parker is involved in quality improvement and standardization of care in the pediatric ICU, as well as resident education. Her clinical interests include severe sepsis and septic shock in children. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email. I critical care at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.